You're listening to Radio Mayapur with the best devotional, meditation, kirtan music, and inspirational podcast. This is Radio Mayapur. Hare Krishna. Uh, this is Radio Mayapur. This is Gangadas, your host. And today we're very, very fortunate. We have with us Ma Maya Devidasi. And she was born in September 29 in 1946 in New York, New York. She studied university in Massachusetts. Um, and uh, in 1968 in Berkeley, California, she saw first time the devotee. So let's hear today her story because we are very much interested in understanding how people in their life come. At one point, there is a crossroad and people choose to change direction because of something happened. So, Ma Maya, welcome to our uh, podcast, Radio Maya. Please, please tell us a little bit about yourself before you met the devotees. Okay. I know your father was a publisher, yes. and she published the first uh, uh, Guinness World Record. It, it was the first Ameri- the, uh, American edition, yeah. The first okay, American okay. edition of the Guinness Book of World Records. Well, thank you for allowing me to talk. It's a pleasure. Um, so just to explain about my father, he started his own publishing company in 1949. Mm-hmm. When I was pretty young. And he specialized in how-to books. Wow. And he found um, this book printed in England. It was called Superlatives. And uh, he says it was my older brother who showed some interest in this book. I also saw it, like this book, I saw it in my father's office at home. And in any case, he um, got in touch with the authors and um, made an arrangement with them to publish it in America under the title of the Guinness Book of World Records. It was a connection with Guinness Stout. Nice. Because they like to solve arguments in bars. That was the idea. <laughs> Sorry. So, um, nice. Interesting. Yeah, it, and then he made it a yearly book so people would compete to break the records. And so it was it was a really good addition to my father's company. It maybe all the offshoot books maybe was a total of a quarter of his books. Um so let me But you were you were alone in the family, your brother, sister. Oh, okay. Well, okay. My father was married um before he before my mother mm-hmm. he was married and uh, giving <coughs> unfortunately his first wife died right after giving birth to their second daughter like right like you know within an hour or something mm. and uh, like two and a half years later my father married my mother um he expected her to raise his two daughters um which she did um, she was kind of the wicked stepmother. At a certain point, when I was an infant, so my older brother was born, and then when I was an infant, she um, she sent the girls, my sisters, to my grandparents to be raised. So that I had the two sisters, but I really never even knew the oldest one. Mm-hmm. And the, but the other one came back to live with us when she was fifteen, and so I was seven, she was fifteen. I looked up to her like 
she was the end all and be all, you know. Nice. And uh, unfortunately, both of my sisters have left their bodies now. But um, but then I also have a younger brother. Okay. So, yeah, there was five kids, but we kind of all grew up kind Split of up. somewhat separately. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then you went to university, you study, yeah. what type of subject you study in university? Well, first I <laughs> majored in psychology because I wanted to understand myself. Hmm. I realized there was no concrete answers. My favorite subject in college was calculus, hmm. which is maybe a little unusual for a girl, right? Yeah. I loved it. I loved the logic of it. It was, I, that's, I just all I remember. I did change my major to uh, elementary education and that was because I was emulating my sister who was an elementary education teacher um, but final um, major was English literature okay. basically I just like to read nice. and um, I guess I you are a seeker of the truth you were trying to find out something or no no, no I was true. just going to say that I had no <laughs> goal. I had no real interest in anything in particular. I went to college because it was expected of me. Okay. It was just no question. That's what I had to do. Everybody had to do it. Well, to some extent, everybody, but I would say it's my, my parents, a little background on them there. Um, I would call them New York Jewish intellectuals. Okay. Okay. I mean, both of them were authors. Like when my father They kind of had a unique way of coming up with books to print. They would think, I think there could be a, a useful book on such and such a topic. And then they try to find an author. Right. It's like, instead of like, usually the book is written and then somebody approaches the company, they were doing it the opposite yeah, way. Like, let's make a book about out. wood carving or flower arranging or, you know, <laughs> that's Interesting. what they did. Interesting way of thinking. Yeah, that's how they handled it. So, um... They um, totally, you know, expected me to get an education, and um, I just wanted to have fun, actually. Good. That's why I went to UMass. Wow. It was considered an easy school for New York students, and uh, yeah, <coughs> I did drop out after a year and a half, and I went to Boston. Which year it was? 1960? That was 1964. Five. So that was the hippie movement. Six. six. Hippie movement, the Beatles, yeah. and all the music, and freedom, yeah. and free Hippie. of everything. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And the, the summer of 67 was the big thing in San Francisco, hate Ashbury, part of mm -hmm. San Francisco. And mm -hmm. But this, when I dropped out, this was just before that. So the hippie movement was just getting started. I remember my roommate in college <coughs> was into SDS, which stood for Students for a Democratic Society. And they're basically okay. rebels. Oh, yeah, of course. Everybody was a rebel at the right. time. Right. <laughs> a hippie means a rebel. A I mean, rebel. We just rejected the concept that you have to get an education, get a job, get married, have kids, work your whole life, and then you die. Like, what Doesn't is the mean. point? Doesn't have a meaning. This no life. meaning. No. Yeah. So... We were searching, yeah, in a sense, but I can't say that, I really can't say that I was searching, um, but... Uh, but at least you knew that this life without knowing something deeper means it's meaningless. Yeah. yeah. 
And it did disturb my family that I was a hippie, became a hippie. Mm. When I, I didn't immediately become a hippie. Okay. I dropped out and moved to Boston mm-hmm. and got a job. I mean, I was an upright citizen for a while. And what type I, of job? I worked as a typist okay. for a book wholesaler. Oh. I, I might be that somebody in my father's office gave me their name and you know because of the connection with books yeah 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 but it was a very low level job then i got a better job at harvard university press as a secretary and then i i tend to move around a lot in my whole life but from there i went and got a job at mit massachusetts institute of technology nice their the department was nasa actually wow they were making software for nasa and i was again just a secretary that's interesting (laughs) (laughs) it was way over my head but i did have to get top uh secret security clearance with the government you had to i had to for that job so i think that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that means there's a file on me at the FBI. <laughs> I hope they're not keeping it up to date. I don't know. I don't know. But anyway, I, then again, I changed jobs. Uh, well, it may be Harvard University. Harvard University. Oh, yeah. At MIT. Okay. I changed jobs again at MIT because I wanted to go back to school, hmm. which I did for a semester. UMass okay. opened up a branch in Boston and um, I needed to get a job that was like three days a week, and I don't have classes three days a week. So I was doing full-time but studying. But training at the same time. Yeah. just Well, no, I was still, again, a secretary. I moved mm. to just a different department at MIT. It was the city planning department. Interesting. And it was just, again, I'm just a typist, fast <clears throat> typist, and um, could get jobs like that. Then, um, let's see, from... Boston. Well, while in Boston, I met a man named Stan, and uh, we ended up getting married, which was an elopement, I would say, because my parents didn't know until Mm -hmm. I told them. They were not happy about it, but I was rebelling against them, against the world, against them. against everybody. Everything, everything. Everything and everybody. Yeah. And um, I don't want to get into too many details, but um, Stan and I lived in Boston for a while. Let's see, I guess I got married in 66. We moved to California <laughs> in 68 because we heard about the summer of love, they called it. Yeah. In 67. By the time we got there, it was over. It was over. I hate The love was gone. <laughs> yeah, the love was gone. All right. It was just a few, um, drugged out people in that area. It was, not what you expect. Not not at all. Anyway, we were still um, straight in that we got jobs in San Francisco. And and um, at some point, I got, okay, this is, this might sound a little speculative, but I got a really bad case of poison ivy somehow, like, I can't remember, some park or somewhere. Mm-hmm. And they gave me some heavy shots of cortisone to help and um it made me really 
be uncomfortable in a city setting. I just wanted to get out of the city. So we ended up moving north of San Francisco to a little town that's kind of well-known called Mendocino. It's actually like an artist's haven, and a lot of the stores are art galleries, and it's right on the coast. There's like these high cliffs, beautiful setting. The Pacific Ocean is there, and and um, we lived there, and again, like we got jobs to begin with. Mm-hmm. But we also connected up with one of the stores in town that was, I guess you'd call it, maybe call it a head shop. Head the, shop. Head shop. So that was a... What that means, meant, sorry, I'm... Well, I'll just I explain what it means, like a shop that's catering to what hippies would want. Oh, okay. All this uh, trinket and stuff. Yeah. And pipe and... I can't remember if it actually had pipes and papers and things <laughs> like that, but it was just geared towards the hippies as opposed to the art galleries, okay, okay. which was geared to, to wealthy the, people right. looking for real art. But right. they, they had art, and that's why we connected with it, because Stan was a musician. He's a singer, actually, a really good singer. Mm. Um, was but, he part of any group, famous group? No. No, he went to the Boston, Boston Conservatory of Music. Oh, okay. He was a tenor. Wow. He was a really good singer, but I don't know beyond that what happened with his career because mm-hmm. we didn't stay together. But right. um, in any case, he was also an artist and he was making like art that he would sell at that hippie okay, store. Okay, but tell us now so, how and when and where you... That's right. Oh, okay, I just want to, to tell it quickly that in Mendocino is where we met a bunch of hippies like... They were like hippies. I mean, we ended up quitting our jobs. We became full-on hippies. Um, when we were in San Francisco, in, I know it was 1968. don't know what month. Okay. And I don't know if it's before or after we went to Mendocino. But in any case, I just remember walking down the street in Berkeley, California, and seeing a bunch of men, like maybe four men, wearing saffron cloth, and they had sikhs. I thought they were Buddhists, mm. because at that time, there was such a heavy um, rejection of the Vietnam War that was going on, yeah, 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 yeah. that there were some Buddhists who set themselves on fire, on fire. Yeah, I remember this. in protest. Yes. So I thought that's... In front of everybody. Yeah. So I thought that's what's was going to happen right in front of me. But they were singing this song... That intrigued me. I, yeah, I don't, I, to this day, I cannot say why I was attracted to the Maha Mantra. I knew, never knew at that time. I didn't know what it meant. And it was something very attractive, quasi magical, yeah, something hypnotic, yeah. something which so, everybody wanted to hear. Yeah, what's something, going on. I, yeah, I couldn't, ex- couldn't explain. I did see a woman. Hmm. With a stroller and a child in the stroller, join the party, and that impressed me. Like, whoa, women can do this! Far but out. I didn't talk to them. I didn't take. I don't remember anybody approaching us with literature. I probably was at the very back of the crowd. All right. Okay, but after that, I ended up seeing devotees in various places. From California, I 
went to Hawaii <laughs> and Excuse I could just tell you the times I definitely remember seeing devotees. So there in Hawaii, I lived on the island of Maui. Maui. And, Beautiful place. Yeah. And there was a group of hippies led by a man whose name was Sai. And he apparently was reading Prabhupada's books Oops. and had his followers. He was kind of a yoga society, I mm -hmm, guess. Mm -hmm. And he had his followers offering prasadam, offering their food as prasadam mm -hmm. and probably and chanting Hare Krishna. So the, I first encountered them. They were normally dressed. They were not wearing yes. robes and anything. No robes. Okay. No, they were dressed just like all the other okay. hippies. Men had long hair. They, you know, t-shirts yeah. and whatever. Well, yeah, yeah, just normal dress. Yeah, but they had a car. I first I heard that they had a car that had the Maha Mantra written on the outside, oh. and I was told they'll always stop for you. So I was kind of scared of them. I did not want to get in that car. <laughs> I avoided getting a car. Afraid they kidnap you or something. I didn't know. It just. Yeah, maybe. Different. I was afraid of it. I was just afraid. I no real reason. But they were at this concert. Okay, so I went to a concert. <clears throat> a famous group at the time, Big Brothers and the Holding Company, had paid for a ticket to go in, but the devotees were outside chanting. Mm. And that time, I remember, like, chanting with them, oh. but not letting them know. That you were joining them. right i was definitely in the back of the crowd and and i really loved it but at some point i thought you know this is crazy i have my ticket and the Why concerts I'm not going yeah so i went inside and immediately was like nope this is more fun outside yeah. so, I went the heck out. <laughs> so that was you know one of the first times and then another time there was a concert with Jimi hendrix oh yeah this was just a couple of months before he died it was for a movie he was supposed to be making called <laughs> rainbow bridge Mm -hmm. So the, you know, like Hawaii, the islands are, are volcanoes. Yes. And so there's this empty crater, which is like a natural amphitheater. And so he was playing in there and it was free to everybody. So to get there, you have to like walk up the outside of the crater and then, and then down it. So my perception of that event was that everybody walking to this concert was chanting Hare Krishna. Everybody. Huh? Yeah, everybody's Amazing. walking up this the hill, coming from all directions, and you know, up the hill, and then inside were sized people, and they were distributing cookies. So wow. I think that's my first taste of prasadam. Nice, maybe. And aware you were already chanting. I was Not chanting. knowingly just you were attracted to this yeah. chanting. Oh yeah, I loved it. And after that, <clears throat> I didn't talk to sized people. I don't know if they offered it, Prabhupada. but I know at some point. He admitted to them, hey, look, this is not, this information is not coming from me. It's coming from Prophet. And he ended up surrendering with 50 of his followers just about a month before my joining the movement. And he's, he became who? He became Siddha Sarup. Siddha Sarup. And then famous. he, then Prabhupada gave him Sanyas and he was yes. Siddha Sarup Ananda Maharaj. Ananda, yes. And there's quite a few of those 50 devotees are still, still there. Yes. initiated by Prabhupada and, and strong devotees, yeah. Um, so, he was very honest. He didn't say, oh, this is me, the aliens well, or something. He did no. after he, he did leave the movement and then did put himself in the center and again then, and did become the guru. And they call themselves the Hari Bulls, huh. right? That's yes. in the Philippines and Australia. Many places. Yes. Yeah. And other places. Yeah. Anyway, they're not in America. 
I never hear about them, but any case. Um, so, but then how did you meet? Pra who yeah. first give you a book or you preach? You took prasadam at this point. You chanted okay, well, the name. <laughs> you took prasadam, right? I assume that was prasadam. Hopefully, that was offered to most probably. Prabhupada. Most probably. Whether whether or not it was offered to Prabhupada, it was offered. <clears throat> yeah, I think so. Um, <laughs> I have the most strange story. I mean, really, like the quick answer to like how did I actually become a devotee mm. was that a friend of mine took me to the temple in Boston and left me there. Well. <laughs> I never had a book. I never had more prasadam, except for that cookie. And, but, okay, well, let me explain what happened. Yeah. I try to make it brief. So from Hawaii, I, I, first of all, I'd gone to Hawaii without my husband, but we decided to get back together. And so he came to Hawaii, and then together we went back to Boston. Well, to... Um, Cape Cod. His parents lived on Cape Cod. Mm -hmm. And um, at some point, well, we weren't there very long. At some, so at some point we decided we just need to go back to California because the, the reason why we left in the first place was that it's so conservative in, in Massachusetts and it's way more liberal in California. We belong there. Yeah, of course. We, were, we, we really did belong there. So we... Got a ride on an old school bus where somebody had taken out all the seats, which was a big <laughs> empty school bus. And about nine people had paid for rides in this bus to California. We got <coughs> as far as Ohio. Hmm. The bus broke down. The guy who owned the bus didn't have the money to get it fixed. We were parked behind a bar and right next to a you know car repair place, but he had to get the money. To, to pay for it. So while he was gone, and it was winter, it was December of 1970 cold. by this time. It was cold in Ohio. And um, one by one, all the people who paid for rides in the bus, they left and went hitchhiking. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was the only, I, I ended up, I was the only one left. Even Stan <laughs> took off. So, um, yeah, I was alone there for a few weeks. <laughs> then the owner of the bus came back and said, we have to go back to, he somehow borrowed a car, and he said, we have to go back to Boston so I can get the money to pay for this. So we drove back to Boston, and he arranged for me to stay with some, in a, in a boys' dorm at Northeastern University. And I did not like his friends. They were, in my opinion, animals. <laughs> I don't know everything that means. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... I um I must have left some information about where I was going, but I headed out to a suburb of Boston where Stan's best buddy, since they were little kids, his his buddy uh, lived. He was a straight guy, was married, had a couple of kids, and somehow or other, I walked through Boston wearing a blanket with a slit in it as a coat <laughs> and moccasins not even boots and, um, you know, a cotton skirt, long skirt. I was, you know, cause I was hippie. Um, but anyway, I get, got to their house somehow or other. And, uh, I, I know more details because I've been in touch with them kind of recently. But what happened is his wife was like, as soon as her husband came home from work, she said to him, 
get this girl out of here. She can't stay here. I mean, we knew each other really well, but she didn't know me as a hippie. Oh, I see. Yeah, she just knew me as, you know, Stan's wife, and we yeah, always yeah, worked, yeah, yeah. we were responsible. But she didn't know us once we became hippies. So, um, so her husband, Bob, had read in an article in a magazine I've never seen. It's called, it was called Boston After Dark. It wasn't a well-known magazine. No. Um, but it had an article about the Hare Krishna Temple and how they got people off drugs. Okay. They're like They were like a drug rehab place. Nice. So he had read that. Bob had read that. So we called him up and said, I read this article. It says you're a drug rehab place. And I got this girl here, and she's chanting Hare Krishna. She's one of yours. Will you take her? And they said, no, we're not a drug rehab. <laughs> what? Are you kidding? We're a temple. We're not going to take her. No. Hangs up. He goes back to his wife. They won't take her. She was like, they have to take her. She can't stay here. No way. I had done some weird things with her kids, apparently. She said I lit some matches and watched them burn. I don't remember this at all. She said that I wanted to help with her kids, and so I drew them a bath, and the water was too hot. I, I don't remember any of this. But like say, recent years, she told me some of the details, like why she didn't want me around, you know? So anyway, Bob calls back and kind of insists, and they said, okay, okay, bring her in. Bring her. So this was a Sunday night, and by the time, okay, first of all, I didn't want to go. Of course. I didn't want to go. To me, the Hare Krishnas were way too happy. I didn't want to too be... Too happy? Too happy. happy. I was miserable, and I don't didn't want to be around happy people, you know? <laughs> you know, like say, misery that likes company. The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were just way too happy, and I didn't know why. I figured that it was from drugs and other Something. forbidden things, because that's... Otherwise, how you can be so happy. Exactly. That's <laughs> all I knew. That brings happiness, so I thought. Okay. So they tricked me. He tricked me. Um, Bob had a, a neighbor, and he said, we're going to a party. So I thought I was like on a date with this neighbor. And there was, he was, Bob was just driving us. So the temple was in Alston, which is like a suburb of Boston, but not really outside. The, I mean, it was part of the city. Yeah. Um, and there was a, it was a big house. We go in the door, and I go into the prasadam room, which is a, just a big, empty, bare room. And Bob and his neighbor left. They left you there? They left me there. Jeez. They literally left me there. That was the plan all along, just to get me there and turn me over to the devotee. So a devotee named Kula Shekhar from England, he preached to me that first night. Now, this was a cold bare room we're just sitting on this cold floor i mean he was sitting on a folded shutter i don't know if i even had a, anything to sit on, on and he was i think he offered me charinamrita to drink it was late it was after the sunday it was a sunday after oh, the sunday feast. feast the men were up just cleaning up the temple the women had already gone to bed so we couldn't send me up to the upstairs to the women's right, ashram right I, I said I had this blanket, which was my coat. So I just oh, slept in the Posada room in my blanket. Now, five o'clock the next morning, 
Mangalarti was 4.30. At 5 o'clock, all the women go down to the prasadam. The temple room was upstairs. Okay. Okay. So they would come downstairs. And they find you. <laughs> and they found me in the in the yeah, prasadam room. <laughs> yeah. Woke me up. They come would come down there and make the flower garlands for the day. The process was Srimad Bhagavatam class. One of the men would be deputed to read the Srimad Bhagavatam while the ladies made the garlands. And the men upstairs would read also. We didn't have like the class the way we have now. This was just reading. And it was Prabhupada's original volumes was kind of hard to read. Right. You know, with all the, you know, <clears throat> Indian English and different spelling and everything. So, yeah, that's what I remember of those first few days was that they put me in a sari that somebody had donated so that I looked different because everybody else was wearing either saffron or yellow because they would just buy these big bolts yeah, of cloth yeah, and yeah. cut them up and the men and the women would just, you know, wear either saffron or, or yellow, yellow for the grihastas, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So I was wearing a real sari. So I stood out like I'm not really part of them, but we would go on Harinam. That was what we did. We went on Harinam either to Harvard Square or to Boston Commons. You know, we'd all just jump in a van and go there. And we had back to Goddard's. We were selling for a quarter each. And we would just, we'd chat. When we went to Harvard Square, now that was something for me because I had worked for Harvard University Press. I knew that I could bump into somebody I might know. Now, all this time I've been chanting and hiding it from the devotees. But here I finally am like, I admit it. I'm chanting <laughs> Hare Krishna. I like doing it. I don't care what you think. I'm doing it. You, you know? accepted it. Yeah. And you were feeling great. Yeah. I loved it. And and um, it was Jadarani who mostly preached to me because she was married to the temple president, mm -hmm. who was Satsarup Das Adhikari at right. the time. And, she, and also Ananga Manjari, who is now married to Bhadra Das. She was 17 at the time, Ananga. And she was like so exuberant. Her feet hardly even touched the ground. She was always up in the air, jumping up and down, dancing. Oh my God. She was bubbling. <laughs> totally, totally bubbly. And, and she was kind of, you could say, my Bakhtin leader, kind of. Okay, now it's time to go to the now temple room. Now it's, it's not, yeah. Um, and but you like it and you enjoy it. Once I got there, I was relieved. I was relieved. It was like I had been so taken advantage of by the material energy and, and, um, just. Material energy sucks you inside. Yeah. And then at a certain point, you get released. Yeah. It was, I, I still didn't know anything. I, nothing. In fact, that first night when Kulu Shekhar is preaching to me, he's talking about Krishna. Of course, I thought I was Krishna. <laughs> yeah, it took a little while to get, you know, understand, understanding yeah. something. And I also was really not connecting with all the Sanskrit names. Of course. Very confused by all the Sanskrit. All the names, all yeah. the nuances. Yeah, and just who's who. <clears throat> and I remember one day I was walking down the stairs because it was a tall, it was a house, but it was tall, several, yeah. five floors or something. I finally saw a poster of Prabhupada when he had visited in 1969, visited Boston Temple, and it had his name in print and his picture. Mm 
And I finally put it together that he was the guru. Guru, yeah. Because otherwise I really didn't know. <laughs> In fact, I thought it was Jadarani because she was always preaching to me. <laughs> I just didn't know. I really didn't. Um, it just took me a while. Now, okay, that was my perception of the beginning first few days. According to Ananga Manjari, she said, I slept for a week and that every time I woke up, she'd stuff burfi in my mouth. <laughs> I go back to sleep. I mean, you were kind of, uh, you know, digesting this whole different situation. You yeah. Know, and yeah. Coming to understand more. I, I, it somehow took... you were tired, material energy, whatever. you. I guess there's some truth to what she said because yeah. she was sober where I was not quite. It takes now, time to go off the all the stuff yeah the medicine this that whatever it is yeah. and then like i said i had given some contact information to the guy who owned the car so at some point he got in touch with me um and there was no mobile phone there was no telephone there was nothing at the time well there was telephone telephone yes but they were in the house or in the, in the house yeah so i there think was... i must have left the name of bob you know his number and he said Oh, she's at the Hare Krishna Temple. So they got in touch with me there. And um, he said, okay, well, I'm going back to Ohio to get on the bus and, you know, ready to go. And I actually said no. I said no. Now, the person who preached to me about that was Sri Dayananda Das Brahmachari. <laughs> he was a temple commander. And uh, he just happened to see me walking on the steps and just said, you know, how are you doing? And just, you know, checking in with me. Yeah, no problem. And, and I told him that I was going to go to California and that I would probably go to the temple there. You know, I wasn't like committed at all. And he said to me, look, just stay here and get fixed up. You know, that was the term. Yeah, fixed, fixed up, up yeah, fixed in up. Krishna consciousness. And he goes, and then... Once you're fixed up, fixed up, you can take your Krishna consciousness everywhere you go. And you can go all over the world, but you'll be Krishna conscious. So nice. I thought that sounds like a good idea because I knew I wasn't really committed. I didn't know what was going to happen if I went back yeah. to California. So he helped me make up my mind that I would, I would stay. Now, Bob was not sure that... I wanted to be at the Hare Krishna temple. Hmm. So he would regularly, probably like weekly, come by and see me. Check you out. Check me out. And the devotees knew exactly his mood, which was if I wasn't happy and, and if I didn't out. want to be there, yeah, he was ready to take me out. Of course. And they sensed that. Therefore, they never let me be alone with him, you know, in case that would happen. So, but honestly, like, I hear other people talk about their struggle in understanding, accepting the philosophy and stuff. But for me, I was more like a, an empty sieve that would, I mean, not a sieve, <laughs> but an empty bucket or something. And just let it all pour in. I just would listen and, you know, slowly shifted. Like, I'm not God. Okay, Krishna's God. Okay, the point of life is to become pure. And there, this chanting is the process. And um, makes yeah, sense. It just sense. it all made sense. It and you were feeling happy by chanting. It's not was oh, yeah. not illusion. Like yeah. people say so many things. Okay, let me try. 
If I do it and I feel happy, it means right. it works. Right. It's like when you eat and you feel your stomach, you feel satisfied. Yes. Yeah. Nobody can tell you different because Nobody, you're satisfied. Because you can feel it. And they were saying, you, you, if you chant, you'll be happy. And okay, let me I'll test it out. Okay, yeah, it worked. It worked, yeah. <laughs> Let's try another week, another experiment, another <laughs> experiment. You know, and also the... um the records were just starting to come out. Well, they had the Happening album, but the um, Govinda album. The, oh, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It was a 45 record, Govinda on one side. I can't remember what was on the other. Mm-hmm. But um, there was some devotees just play it over and over and over again. It wasn't like we were using it for greeting the deities. We didn't even greet the deities. No, we didn't. I don't know what we did in, the, in Boston. But, Maybe chant. Well... Something happened. I think we, well, you know what we did? We chanted Guru Vastika. No, mm. not Guru Yeah, Guru Vastika. Would you chant at Mangalarti? Yes, yeah, same song. We would chant that at, for greeting oh, the deities. And for Mangalarti, we played a tape of Prabhupada chanting. And when it would end, then we would chant. But it, it was most of the, ta- mm. the tape of Prabhupada. It's understandable yeah. because it was the beginning. Nobody knew exactly what type of system we should yeah. have. Yeah. But then Prabhupada slowly. In- right. Also, the men and women did not separate in the temple room. Of course not. They were, it was just all mixed. It was not... Re- not well, a big we didn't deal. Think it, it was not a big deal. We didn't think it was a problem. No. Um, the first fire sacrifice I ever saw was Sasarup Das Adhikari. Did the, he was the priest. And it was the wedding of Vridayananda and Anangamachari. Oh, nice. And um, so they were associating... Bef- before the wedding and it was like this she would say to me um well so she would call me emily you know that wasn't even bach team we didn't even know that word yeah so emily we're there's a class in the temple let's go you know so we go there and there's just one brahmachari (laughs) and i'm like i I confused like (laughs) okay so we had a class you know would study something i don't know that was them associating I see. At least in the Bhagavatam class. <laughs> well, I don't know what we were studying. Maybe it wasn't Bhagavatam time. It was during was the, the, the maybe it was evening. I don't no, know I what. Don't remember. We don't remember. But it was it was an arranged thing for them to associate. Okay. But she presented to me like it's a class, so I'd it's go with her. That's okay. But tell us the first time yeah. you saw Shula Prabhupada in your okay. life. Well, I first heard about this initiation thing. And how you have to be a devotee for six months to get initiated. And that Prabhupada was in India and he was supposed to come back soon and he was going to do initiation. So my first prayers to Prabhupada was, please don't come here till I'm here six months <laughs> so, so I that I could get initiated, you know. And actually that totally worked out like that. But meanwhile, I was, so I was in Boston. I was a typist, so they got me typesetting or first typing. First I was a temple secretary. But then I was typing, typesetting uh, with ISKCON Press, and ISKCON Press was moving to New York, so I moved with them. This is all like in three months. Yeah. Moved to New York and was typesetting in New York, and I loved doing that. But I also was attracted to deity worship, and uh, I got in trouble with my boss, who was Palika, because I don't know, we were making new handkerchiefs, every week and it was my turn to make it and I hadn't finished. I was sewing when I was supposed to be composing. Yeah. And so basically I, with that one offense, quote, quote, unquote, offense, 
she said she was trading me with another devotee um, who would typeset. Now, unfortunately for them, that devotee lasted only two weeks as a typesetter. But meanwhile, I was sent to Philadelphia Temple to be the head pujari because I wanted to do deity worship. As soon as I got there, um, a letter came from Prabhupada. There was like maybe a dozen devotees in Philadelphia at the time. And mostly, almost everybody was not initiated. A letter comes from Prabhupada initiating by mail. And so then, because even though I was head pujari, I wasn't allowed to do the archies. It had to be the initiated devotees. Mm-hmm. Like I would set it up and I would clean up afterwards. It was only a picture. You know, it was a picture. It wasn't deities. Right, right, right. right. A painting of Panchatattva. Anyway, I wasn't too happy with that. And it wasn't, there was only one other Brahmachrini and I didn't, she was an older lady, maybe 30 or something. Didn't get along with her too well. I go to, a, well, I guess you call it a Sankirtan festival. They, there was a summer temple in Ocean City, Maryland on a beach. Ocean City is, it, city is a beach mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. And many devotees from the East Coast would go there for the weekend and preach on the beach. And um, I met a devotee from Washington, D.C. And she was the pujari there, also for a painting of Panchataka. Somehow or other, between the two of us, we agreed to switch temples. <laughs> You're supposed to get the temple president's funny. permission yeah, for these yeah. kind of things, but and I was kind of a rebel. So, yeah, we switched temples. And um, <laughs> I was happier in Washington, D.C., and so I was living in Washington. Again, there was about a dozen devotees yeah. there. Um, my temple president's name was Damodar. If you've ever seen that early, early movie where Prabhupada's telling a story, and then you see Radha and Krishna and the gopis, and they're walking across this beautiful bridge. You ever see that movie? There's no sound. <laughs> Maybe. No sound. It has to be narrated. Must be. But it's like Prabhupada's telling the story. Anyway, he made this movie. He used to show it all the time. And he had narrated it. He made a few other movies. Um, you know, sh- very short movies. And um, I mean, Damodar, I just kind of believed everything he said. And um, so when uh, we heard that Prabhupada was coming to New York and he would mm-hmm. do an initiation, so I asked him, can I get initiated? You know, and he said... He tested me. This was the test. He said, so, um, who is Krishna? I said, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He goes, and who are you? <coughs> I'm his servant. Okay, you can get initiated. Cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> that was the test. Now that's yet to pass so many tests and say, right, so many things. You have yeah. to read the Bhagavad Gita for right time. <laughs> so there were six of us who we're going to get initiated from Washington. Mm-hmm. Now, we didn't go to New York when Prabhupada arrived because Damodar had this philosophy, we're not meant <laughs> to gawk at the spiritual master. We should just do service. When it's time to get initiated, we'll go there. Well, Damodar kind of got in trouble for not greeting Prabhupada when he arrived. I gave Everybody else who went there went that then. Yeah. And Prabhupada was holding an initiation every day. And it was like 10 first initiations. And I don't, you know, I don't know how many seconds, but he would chant on your beads during the ceremony. So that's why it was limited to 10, take an hour. 
And um, so, yeah, we drove to New York. On the way, we stopped in Boston, uh, Baltimore, mm-hmm. which is kind of on the way. And somebody had bought a big box of walnut beads. We counted at 108. Um, a couple of the devotees who were getting initiated had carved like the head bead, the Krishna bead. They look like little Lord Jagannaths, kind of. Nice. And so we had that, and we just need 108 beads. Now, I can tell you that the person who carved them, his name is Pancharatna Das. Oh, or Pancharatna here, my yes, Yeah. Right. Yeah, he was actually from Buffalo, but he and a devotee who ended up named, being named Saptarath and his wife, they had, the three of them had come from Buffalo to make a new altar in Washington, so they happened to be there. And anyway, um, we when we got to New York, um, we found out that Prabhupada was doing the initiations in the morning, during Bhagavatam class time. Right. So it, because he wasn't giving class in the morning, he was giving class in the afternoon, mm-hmm. in the evening, in the evening. So we sat in the Prasada room that, when we got there. It was uh, during the day. It was like a five-hour drive, I think, from Washington. Um, so we're sitting there in the Prasada room, and we strung up our beads. And the, the, we, we knew how much thread. We had some nice, thick thread. <laughs> it was The measure how much thread you needed, you go seven times around a back to Godhead, the long way around a back to Godhead. Wow. That's how, <laughs> how much thread you needed. That was an interesting way of calculating. <laughs> so um, we... we so the first time I saw Prabhupada was that evening. And so he's going to give a Bhagavad Gita class. So I'm sitting in the temple room. Now, this is a hot July day. This is either, I think it was July 22nd, or maybe it was the 23rd of July in 1971. And like I said, Prabhupada had been there a couple of days already. So... Um, it was so packed that not everybody could fit in. Devotees that come from all over the East Coast and Canada, East Eastern part of Canada. So a lot of devotees. All devotees. So it was packed in, and and still not everybody could get in. So, so one devotee who ended up getting the name Kirti Raj Prabhu, he was tapping people on the shoulder, <laughs> and telling them to, um, if they would agreed to leave the temple because other people had never seen Prabhupada. And I had never seen Prabhupada, so no way I was no, I was going to leave. I think he didn't notice that I had been gone for like three months because I had been in New York with the press, you know. Anyway. Um, but I just was determined to sit there. And um, I, okay, I could just tell you that in my mind I just kind of couldn't really believe that there was, I was going to meet Prabhupada, that there was somebody who wrote the Bhagavad Gita. I loved the Bhagavad Gita. I mean, I read the Bhagavad Gita like five times before I said, okay, is there anything else to read? Nice. You know, and of course it was the abridged edition. So of course, it was yeah, quicker it was read. Without Sanskrit and without the... No, the Sanskrit... But oh, there was no, it was no There was Sanskrit. no right. word by word or something. It was just... they Just the out, English. They just cut out some purports. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, some purports. Some are... Some were slimmed down and some were eliminated completely. Oh. Prabhupada was not happy with that edition. Yeah. But, yeah, the purple... So what happened yeah. when you saw Prabhupada coming in front That's of That's what I'm eyes. building up to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I'm already... Oh, my God, we're almost done. Okay, so 
what I remember sitting there like death to the last minute doubting that I was really going to meet Sheila Prabhupada. Could that person who wrote the Bhagavad Gita really walk through that door? And I just thought that until the moment he walked through the door. And it was like an old friend who I had seen in so long. Like I just totally had forgotten, you know? Yeah. And it was unbelievable. Like, of course, Sheila Prabhupada. You know, I was like... <laughs> And then, uh, then the next morning is when I got initiated. So let me share that. Okay. Yeah, sure. Okay. So we're sitting around the fire in a particular order. And then they would hang our beads, um, on the uh, microphone stand in the order that we were sitting around. I mean, they were also labeled, I guess, of you course. know. And so we had to chant on our old beads, you know, and, um, so there was four devotees who I still don't know who they were, but I, I don't know what temple they were from or what names they got or anything. I just know the six of us from Washington. So, the, but the men were all going first. And um, so, uh, the, okay, there was three devotees who had the word Roth in their name. It was Sapdarath. Astaroth and Dasarath. Wow. So in each one of them, he gave the definition of their name. Yes. One who drives a chariot in eight directions. One who drives a chariot you know, in seven directions. One who, even Dasarath, one who drives yeah. a chariot in ten yeah. directions. That's all he said. He didn't even say, it's Ramachandra's father. Nothing. Nothing. Just the definition. Not even a whole sentence. Just that phrase one who drives a chariot in so many directions. Then uh, Pancharatna, now he feels the connection to the numbers part. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because five the Pancha is five. Um, so, yeah. He, so he got it. And I don't know what Prophet said. He'd have to tell you. Um, but... Um, then he called you. No, I wasn't next. It was actually a little girl who was about 12 Okay. And she was the daughter of a devotee, a New York devotee, okay. who had just gotten initiated the day before. And her daughter, far as I remember, had like, I know for sure she had a round face, <laughs> and blonde hair and blue eyes, you know, very beautiful, beautiful, yeah. And so Prabhupada was completely enchanted with her. And just, you know, you, you're chanting 16 rounds. Yes, Srila Prabhupada. And he just had this, interaction face. with her yeah that was just so so sweet and he gave her the name shashi muki moon face yeah beautiful name yeah unfortunately her mother blooped shortly thereafter and so did she anyway that was really nice exchange and then i don't remember even if i was next it might have been saptarath's wife she got the name hemalata Mm -hmm. um, but when I my turn came, um, what I remember is the process when you go in front of Prabhupada. Now, I don't remember if we paid full Dandavats. I know we were paying full Dandavats yeah, back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were. Yeah. But I don't remember if we did that in front of Prabhupada. <clears throat> but Aravinda was Prabhupada's servant, and he had a paper with all the names written on it. Yes. And so he would read it to Prabhupada 
knew the name, but it wasn't in the mic. So, but I was close enough to hear. So I think I was already, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am forgetting in a very important part of the story. <laughs> sure, Dallas. Before we left Washington, yeah. the temple president's wife, Domitar's wife, wasn't going with us because she had just had a baby, uh-huh. right? She couldn't travel. She says to me, so you're going to get initiated? Yes, your husband is, uh, you know, recommending me for initiation. She goes, what do you think Prabhupada's going to name you? Okay. This was a question that the, when I was in New York temple, who will know? <laughs> but yeah, we don't, we just, but when I was in New York temple as a Brahmacharini for those, you know, like maybe the months that I was there, however long it was, there was like 25 Brahmacharinis. They're all waiting for Prabhupada to come and get initiated. So there was a common question to ask each other. What do you uh, think Prabhupada's going to name uh, you? Yeah. You know, and uh, mostly the answer, the typical answer was Prabhupada's going to name me Maya because I'm always in Maya. <laughs> now, I was never had that humble pie <laughs> philosophy at all. I never thought I was in mine. <laughs> so I would never say it. But when this, when, oh you know, Domino's wife asked me, I said the line. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I said Just that repeat line. Just like everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. But here was a different, different it was later. I mean, yeah, anyway. why I said it, it was just, you know, serendipity or something. So, I was definitely in shock when I heard my name, Mahamaya. But then when Prabhupada said it, he says it twice. And I remember there's a shocked silence throughout the temple. And then Prabhupada started laughing and everybody cracked up. Everybody cracked up. <laughs> and then he goes, illusory energy, illusory energy. Um, there are different phases of the moon Something about Rat, it's Radharani's energy. I actually have it in my book and, you know, these, because I got a tape of someday. Nice, I, I was nice, able to get a hold nice, of the tape nice. and actually listen to exactly what Prophet said. And he said, you know, just like you're, there are phases of the moon, Mahamaya is a phase of Radharani. Nice. Um, for one who does not want to serve Krishna, the illusory energy is there. And then he, he goes, do you know the four regular principles? I didn't have to repeat them. Only at the first people in the ceremony would repeat the four yeah, regs and everybody else. But you knew them. I knew them. And not only that, when we were driving to New York, we were told we had to memorize the 10 offenses to the Holy Name. Oh, yeah. And that we would be tested on that. So the whole way there, we're memorizing it, thinking that's what he was going to ask us. <laughs> and it was just the four... Ask. Four regs, and I didn't even have to say them because so many others had already said already it before said it. me. He gave you the beads. The beads, yeah. That's it. Gave me the beads, and okay, the experience though of being there at Prabhupada's feet and him looking at me and focusing his attention on me was—I'm sure you've heard this from a number of devotees. Yeah. It was like Prabhupada could see the to real you. me. Like X-ray, I, X-ray. Yeah, it was like, <laughs> I didn't know that person. I didn't know who I was. But it was like gazillion layers of false ego and who I thought I was. And Prabhupada was talking to me. It was a phenomenal experience. It's something just, you kind of forget in your yeah, life. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, people could talk for an hour just on that one glance, right? Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So... And then yeah. your life changed. You become a wonderful devotee. You did a lot of service. 
my only claim to fame is that I, I stayed in the movement. I didn't loop and I chanted my rounds every day. And if I ever got behind, like, you know, a few you times I've been chance. very, very yeah, sick or gave birth to my son, Keith. you know, get yeah. behind, I'm always made it up. I can't say they're just like good rounds. <laughs> always want to improve my rounds. Oh my God. It could be so much better, but, but I am committed to, to chanting my rounds. I think that's what's kept me in the movement because yeah, we all face so many trials and tribulations Absolutely. and Absolutely. but I can't live without chanting my rounds. I mean it's You become addicted. Yeah, pretty like much. Like many, many do <laughs> Yeah, I could I mean I just when I am when a few times I have gotten way behind because of sickness, I'm just in anxiety until yeah, I catch yeah, up. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sure. It's so wonderful talking to you, Mama, oh, yeah. Mother G. And uh, please give now a message to all the people who are listening to us today in Radio okay. Mayapur. What is your final message to them oh, of wow. Christian consciousness? Something okay. small and sweet and okay. short. Well, I would say something about Srila Prabhupada. That whether or not we personally met him, I mean, I feel so fortunate to have <laughs> obviously, personally obviously. met Prabhupada. And then, you know, I did spend time here in Mayapur, when Prabhupada was spending a lot of time in India. So, you know, I was able to write a whole book of my memories of Prabhupada. So as the rank and file devotee, I mean, that's pretty phenomenal. And, you know, like all those little times I saw Prabhupada in America would be like totally satisfying. But I came to India and I just remember sitting in Prabhupada's rooms in his evening darshan and thinking how every... Here in Mayapur? Here in Mayapur. Okay, which year? Um, 76 and feeling like I am so fortunate to be here and every devotee all over the planet would love to be here right now. They would give their eye tooth to be here right now and I'm here. So I really have to share that with others. And I just want to say that I have met so many devotees who have, have a complete connection with Prabhupada. They didn't physically meet him, but it doesn't matter. We're all his shiksha disciples, Absolutely. and he always emphasized Absolutely. shiksha way more important Absolutely. than diksha. Absolutely. So I just don't want people to feel like, oh, you know, only the people initiated by Prabhupada got no. the mercy. Like, forget no. it. We are all. If you read Prabhupada books, we are in his association. Yeah. Because Prabhupada say, I live in my books. He's living in my books, and he said to follow his instructions and all that, like, you know, Vani and Vapu, oh. right? Yes. Vapu is very rare to get that. Absolutely. But Vani is is available every minute of every day every forever. Day. So it's like, just know that you haven't missed out on anything. Prabhupada is available to everyone. And I mean, yeah, just, I was just saying that. And I'm somebody who, you know, like I said, a rank and file devotee who got a bit more association than most. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you for letting me talk about this. Thank you so much. You're listening to Radio Mayapur with the best devotional, meditation, kirtan music, and inspirational podcast. This is Radio Mayapur.